Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the vaunted, historic, give me another adverb, adjective. Eldridge. Eldridge. Toxin Tasting Studios. This is Bullhagen. This is Berg. And I'm Vicker. And Peter's here. Hey, Pete. Welcome to the Clerical Errors Podcast, the show that shows you... What's behind the collar? You ready for the storm tonight? It's going to be rad, man. That warm wind from the south is fantastic. It feels like Florida out there. It really does. I took I, my coat off. It was amazing. I, I almost came into church this morning without a shirt. I got a little confused. <laughs> I well, think we might watch Twister tonight. Yes. Yeah. yeah. If you don't out lose your power. Back door. <laughs> and put on the movie, right? Ah. Yeah. <laughs> no, what you need to do is you need to watch The Shining which is the movie they are watching at the drive-in theater. Oh, yeah. Right? When the the tornado takes the screen. Oh, you know, I never put that... To, it's been so long since I've seen Twister. All I can remember from that one is cow, another cow. Oh, that's the same cow. Which, a portion of that was Filmed recorded. In Iowa. Yeah, just down the road. Where at? Uh, wine In Hamilton's area. Oh, Eldora. Eldora. That's right. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. His dad's a faithful listener. Enjoy you know, wait, join your uh Mr. Hamilton, I remember your first name, enjoying your walk out there this morning. Hope you don't slip on that ice. Yeah. Uh, you know, there have been a lot of great movies shot in Iowa. Like Field of Dreams. Yep. I've been to Dyersville. Okay. I'm gonna it say it was about it. as boring as uh I'm gonna say it. Movie a little overrated. Uh yeah. I only got through about half of it, so <laughs> but I like Kevin Costner. He's been really good, uh, from what I hear, in that uh, Yellowstone uh, series. Oh. So I haven't watched it, but I kind of like Cowboys in the West. We're so. drinking sparkling, bottle, bottle, sparkling water, by the way. Vicar's got a, a pure leaf tea. This is uh, a cherry lime. So, uh, And guess where these came from? The official Clerical Airs mini fridge. That's true. We need to get some like magnets or some decals or something for it. We should sell... Clerical Airs mini fridges at our store. <laughs> Speaking of the store, Peter, how's all that going? I think uh, we've almost made enough to handle one third of our operating costs per year. Wow. We are living the dream. Living the dream. And uh, by the way, uh, it may be too late uh, to get something by Christmas at this point. I think it is. But you know what? A lot of people are getting some Christmas bonuses, right? It's true. <laughs> right? Well, and if you can't get it for this Christmas, uh, we might actually be taking clerical errors on the road. So, What do you mean, need, might be? You know. Well, I think we're ready to announce this. Well, weather are permitting. We weather permitting. Weather permitting. So. There you go. So we are working uh, with Hannah to have one, maybe two different... Uh, clerical errors live recordings um so we're gonna try a new one in our normal recording area like the hampton latimer kind of area and we're gonna looking at another one in uh hannah's neck of the woods at the university of minnesota what about lawrence (laughs) uh that one's up to you guys i'm sure i could make it happen but are you really gonna drive up to minnesota and then down to kansas do we have any listeners down south? 
Florida. Yeah, like Florida. Oh, the clerical heirs shirtless tour. I like it. <laughs> we 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 gotta sell a lot more shirts before we can get the cash for that one. Yeah, we might we we, we <laughs> might we might need a few more donations. So, <clears throat> thank you guys for your purchases. We really appreciate it. Uh, goes to and, fund and our top seller is the riff on that T-shirt. Of course it is. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a quality shirt, man. I, it's hard to pass it up, you know. I just want to be there when the first time Berg encounters uh, one of those shirts in the wild, just like yep. going to the grocery store. It is. It's crazy, man. Like at the seminary, did I? I probably told you this story before, but I was at a conference there, and I was walking out, and. Uh, one of the seminarians asked, you know, are you the Travis Berg? <laughs> so we are we are famous in certain segments of the population. So Yeah, I had someone yeah. uh <laughs> randomly ask how my calves were. <laughs> so So there we go. What what'd you answer? It wasn't leg day, so Yeah, there you know hey, should we address the calves? I think it's something that needs to be talked about here. So I I have been really hitting the the calves really hard, so much so Vicar can probably attest to this that like when I sit up, uh, my pant leg stays up and I have to pull my pant legs down back over my ankles. So they're getting bigger, but my wife has not noticed. Did I tell you there's a Norse myth about that? No. <laughs> so this giantess, she, uh, I think her dad gets killed by one of the gods, and so she goes to Asgard to demand recompense. And so they say, okay, well, you know, um, you can have one of us for a husband, you know, but you have to choose us by our calves. And so they actually have this mist, this cloud come over. So she can't, she can only see their calves. And so she picks the biggest calves in the room because she thinks it's Odin. And here it's, uh, the God of the sea Njord. And that marriage was very unhappy because she liked to ski. He liked to be at the beach. Oh, so, you know, Cautionary tale, man. Calves aren't everything. I guess my calves are my Achilles. <laughs> so we should talk about the text. All right, Vicar, tell us about the difficulty of even picking a text. Wow. There's two to pick from for Advent 4. There's uh, John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28, which is the testimony of John the Baptist. Or there's Luke um, chapter 1 verses 39 to 56, and that is about Mary visiting Elizabeth and Mary's song of praise, the Magnificat. Which would you guys choose? Well, it's easy for me because we have an adult baptism. There you go. So I got to preach to John. That's right. Yeah. With someone stepping into the Jordan, you know, got to preach to John the Baptist. Right. Well, and John means, uh, well, and the John one is actually the, the more ancient of the texts. So, you know, Meaning you know me. to the lectionary, not right. Yeah. I mean, the Gospel of John was probably written close to the end of the canon, actually. So, right. I just don't want anyone accusing you of being a higher critic. Well, I mean, they were written at different times. I mean, right. It's not like they were all, you know, monkeys on typewriters <laughs> producing the stuff at the same time. So, would you like me to read yeah, the John yeah. the Baptist one? <laughs> <laughs> Peter, do you think we should do two today? <laughs> this, is a, this is a weird energy we've got going on right now. Okay, so the John chapter 1, starting at verse 19. 
And this is the testimony of John. Read like a mean vicar. (laughs) When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him. Wait, wait, that was was kind of aggressive. I like it, though. It's pretty, yeah. Is that how he would say it, Berg? (laughs) Yes. Yes, he would. Okay, continue. Either that or he'd say it like a loony, but who knows? (laughs) Maybe he would taunt him with it. I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. All right, and go. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. You need to read it. Come on, say the right words. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> He's boxed into a corner. He hates cliches, though. That's the Say thing. the line. Say yeah. the line. All right, Bullhagen, riff on that. Yay. Riff. All right. So, a lot of times, I sometimes I get a little annoyed. <clears throat> Maybe this came out in our winkle last time, where we, we focus so much on preaching John the Baptist that we actually forget his message. Okay. Because his message was generally repent. He's the one that says make straight paths for him. So what what do you think that means, Vicar? Prepare your heart for Jesus. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when Vicar gets kind of sassy. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is a time of reflection and repentance on what what obstacles do you have that keeps you from hearing the word of God? Don't you think? Yeah, and who's the one straightening the paths? Obviously, it's you know, it's not okay. People, you make your heart straight, right? Right. But it's actually the preaching, right? God working through the preaching. So, well, okay. So, what are you, since you have an adult baptism, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Like, for this pre, for this text, what part are you going to focus on? What are you going to... Well, like, the, the fact know? that the baptism is one of power. Okay. Given by Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, as John points to his own baptism, there is one that... that that surpasses even death instituted by God. Um, and it's, you know, when people question, because there's certain groups of Christianity where they, they get upset with you when you say baptism is powerful, mm-hmm. you know? So you're going to focus on the verse, uh, I baptize with water, but the one who's coming after me, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but I'm in the early stages. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, that's a good one to talk about, you know, you being an instrument, right? Because all pastors can say, yeah, I baptize with water, because mm-hmm. who is the one who's actually baptizing? It's God, right? right? God is the one who is baptizing. God is the one who is using you as he would use an instrument, um, which is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, since you've got an adult baptism, I I would even talk about the place, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, this place... You know, there's a reason why John gives the geography of where this is. And, uh, you know, they're always, you know, this adult, you know, uh, baptized person is always going to remember this place, Mm -hmm. you know, that he or she was baptized here at this font. They're going to always remember what it looked like. Part of my my wrestling with this text, too, is um, I really do—do you know how you go through cycles as a preacher where you have certain focus— Right. You know, like my last sermon was on miracles. I really didn't have much law in it. I need to have mm-hmm. some more. Oh, you need to you need right. up your law game? Well, just, I mean, I mean, because I think it's, you know, as you get ready for Christmas, the last, you know, you really want to, I really want to have a, some stronger law in this one just to, to help prepare for the gospel. Right. Well, well, you heard my and, sermon. There wasn't a whole lot of law there. Yeah, yeah. I, so, you know, and I mean, that's not a bad thing. Right. And sometimes, I mean, like Luther's Invocavit sermons, sometimes they're all they're all law, you know? Right. Or like Haggai's first preaching, um, there is a ton of law in there. Um, so I, I do think, you know, some of these things, you can't just have the formula of, well, your sermon has to be, you know, no. you know, a thousand words of law and a thousand words of gospel or some kind of nonsense like that. Well, which I do remember as a vicar, I would actually do the word count thing. Would you really? Yeah. Well, can I explain? Yeah, please. Because when, when, when you have attention difficulties at that moment and you're still dealing with them and understanding them, it's all about, it's a painful experience to get enough words. Right. So for the law in this sermon, are you going to focus on the who are you? Or are you going to focus on the Jesus standing in your midst and you don't recognize it? Because I think those are kind of two of the really strong mm-hmm. you know, ways of, you know, who are you? Right? This is the, quest- this is the question that the world asks. Uh, and it, it cares so much about who you are, what you can do. You know, everybody tries to be unique whatever that means. And uh, um, and really, it's a question of self-justification. Right. Because if you're nobody, then you don't matter, and you really don't have a right to exist. But John, who can trust in the gospel, John who trusts in the gospel, John who, uh, he never refers to his office at all. Right. Uh, he's just, you know, his great confession is, I'm not Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not the Christ. Uh, and I think that's the problem. Like at Christmas time, especially, I think everybody wants to be Jesus. You know, they try to go home, uh, and make these super special celebrations and they stress themselves Mm -hmm. out and they got to bake and they got to make cookies and then they got to wrap presents and they got to, they kill themselves. And what they're doing is they, they're ending up putting so much stress on themselves because they, they can't recognize that they're not Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and when you look at John the Baptist, his life was so simple. You know, what he ate, what he wore. Right. It was so uh, the opposite of what we give this season 
Right. And this season, I think, too, it's kind of been hijacked by kind of a righteousness by the law, right? You give big gifts and you do this and you have lots of food and Christmas you know, bonuses. Right. And it, what what ends up being missed is that you are not God. And what's even more comforting is that you don't have to be Jesus. Mm-hmm. You are not Jesus, and that's a good thing. Right. Because he is the one who did all of these things in your place. Right. And so you can be who you truly are, um, you know, in your baptism. So... So recognize him. And mm-hmm. that, that'd be the other way to preach that law, too, and work in the, right. you know, Jesus stands among you, right? We have all these nativity scenes. We have all of this stuff, right? All of these symbols of Christmas. And yet nobody in our society recognizes Christ. Mm-hmm. 26% of people are religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S, like no religious affiliation. And yet all of the stores and all these street corners, you know, we... We use all of these symbols that are actually Christian, and yet the world doesn't recognize Christ. And maybe even the people who come to church don't recognize Christ either. Mm-hmm. So, and 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 so that's why I th- I was I'm still dwelling on the makes straight paths right <clears throat> of kind of using it a way of as a as almost a mental image the mountains being made low. Right. I I still love that last line because it seems like such a throwaway line, but, you know, that John is doing this stuff in Bethany beyond the Jordan, right? And that geography matters, mm-hmm. right? That uh, where he is baptized here matters. Where John was baptizing matters. Why? Because Bethany means the house of affliction, right? And mm-hmm. where is it? It's on the border of the promised land. Right? And, mm-hmm. like, isn't that exactly what baptism is? It is a leaving the house of affliction and entering into the promised land. Now. Not just in the future, but now. Right. That he is coming into his inheritance now. So so what are you... Have you written... You've probably already written your Oh, story. I'm not actually preaching, so... Oh, that's right. I'm, go, I'm going on vacation, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't take enough Sundays off, do I? <laughs> no, no, you don't. And they give them to you, so... I've got a question for you guys. This uh, verse 20, I'm wondering if if this is one of John's digs at Peter. You know, they were kind of competing sometimes for... Yeah, what, what's 20 again? Okay. It says, He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So it's kind of like Peter's confession and a reminder of his denial at the same time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it could be. I... I hope he wasn't digging at him because that's kind of a you know. And I saw a meme once where uh, where uh, you know it, it has John and uh, Peter running to the tomb and uh, you know and John's like, "Hey, I won," and Peter's like, "Well, no one's gonna know." And then you see it, and then it cuts to a picture of John. Oh, everybody will know. <laughs> you know, there's, I've got another one to that kind of when the, as they're competing for. For Jesus's favor, uh, which one received the greater gift from Jesus? John received his mother. Peter, you know, if he's the rock of the church, received the church. Which is, which is greater, and which is more of a burden? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> <laughs> I I really like uh, though. I, th- I think this could actually be a really great sermon too. Just focusing on that part, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, "I am not the Christ," because. 
I think one thing that our people struggle with a lot is that sometimes we have to be polemical. We actually have to say, okay, this stuff is true, and that means that this other stuff is not true. Right. That there's actually such a thing as true teaching and false teaching. Mm-hmm. And it seems really strange that John would, you know, he would confess, okay, I'm not the Christ, but every uh, every positive statement also has the negative side, just like these negative statements have the positive side, right? Mm-hmm. Now, when John says, I am not the Christ, he's saying, there actually is a Christ. And then what he says, right. and he's I, here. I only baptize with water. Right. Um, you know, um, so I think that's important too that, you know, because our people are like, well, you know, why do you have to go after these other denominations? Why do you have to be such a meanie? <laughs> You know, why do you have to do this? Why can't you just preach, you know, whatever, right? Well, I mean, that is like feeding your sheep really well, but then not getting out the shotgun when the wolves come, right? Mm-hmm. Then all you're doing is, you know, you're the wolves really love you because you got, you know... Fat sheep. You got fat sheep for lamb burgers and stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's the thing is that a pastor's job as a shepherd... That's what the word pastor means. Is not just to feed the sheep, but also to defend them, defend them from the wolves, and that means like you actually have to point stuff out that isn't true, right? Because it all can't be true, right? It's you can't say baptism is just getting you wet, and baptism saves, right? It's got to be one or the other. But by the way, do you notice how in that text John also points the authority of Christ? In baptism? Because one of the questions they wonder is, well, who are you to baptize? Right. You know? And he basically says, you know, he points to Christ who baptism really is one where Jesus exercises his authority. And that's another great sign of how John can just confidently rest in who he is as a Christian. You know, he never talks about his office in this text. Mm-hmm. Only except for that, I'm a voice. Um, he uh, doesn't even defend his own baptism, right? Um, even though Jesus says that his baptism is from heaven, right? right? Could you say this? Uh, uh, John is defined by Jesus. Yeah, and I think that's where that, that his... might be a good way from a sermon point of view to 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 where he just you know this is what I do, but it's not about me. Right, it's all about it's all about Christ. Right. And I think that's the thing is whenever people, you know, and people do this all the time and it happens in the church, right? I mean, there's a reason why they send the the priests and the levites and why they're sent by the Pharisees. It's all about status. It's all about okay, where do you fit in this little hierarchy of things? Mm-hmm. Right? Right. But that good um, thing that doesn't happen now in, within the clergy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> Insert the sarcastic, you know, or the womp, 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 right? Because this happens today, right? right? Like, oh, well, you know. Can I, I, can I say this? I say this because uh, I remember the look on your face when, when someone said to you, um, you should get a doctorate. And you said, why? Because no one will listen to you unless you have. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> they, you know. and Riff like, on that, Bird. But it's it's this kind of stuff, right? It's when we play these kind of games, whether it be in the bureaucracy or whether it be in getting degrees or in doing this other stuff, 
We are trying to justify ourselves and our words by something other than Jesus. And this is why, uh, in a way, I wouldn't even focus on John's office in this text because he doesn't. Right. Right? Um, which, is, which is why I kind of mentioned I have annoyance when you, people make the sermon about this all about John, because that would be embarrassing to John. Well, and John, and, you know, because I talked about yesterday, too, that, you know, one sermon theme you could have here is, you know, John is the portrait of a evangelical preacher. But honestly, the more I think about it right now, John is a portrait of every Christian. He's a portrait of every Christian because Christians trust in the Word of God, and they speak the Word of God. They don't take, uh, they don't vaunt their office over other people, which John could have done because he is the greatest man born of woman. He is a priest. He is Elijah, as Jesus Mm -hmm. calls him, right? I mean, he is all of these things. He is more than a prophet. Isaiah spoke about him. Right. And all he focuses on is, I'm a voice in the wilderness, and what am I saying? Prepare the way of the Lord, Mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, this whole hierarchy thing is kind of, you know, how I lack a focus sometimes. Back on that a little bit, I was just thinking of how how pastors like to ask, oh, you're, you're a pastor where? Oh, how many you worship? <laughs> yeah, as if that even matters. Oh. And this is I why, worship one. <laughs> well, and this is why, like, this text should be applied to the... Uh, to the seven-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. To the to to the to the Christian who is poor and despised and doesn't have any education, but he knows the word of God. And with the word of God, you can stand against all bureaucracy. You can stand against every, you know, churchianity sort of organization. Uh, ultimately, it is about the word of God. The word of God has power, and we actually do the word of God injustice when we try to attach something to it. Whether it be a degree or uh, an office, even the office of pastor, right? Yeah. Our our office doesn't get its doesn't give power to the word we preach. It's the word that actually creates our office. What, what's uh, you know, as you, you talk about that, and one thing I appreciate about the baptism that will be occurring on Sunday is the fact that I've never met anybody. Who want to be baptized as much as this person? Thanks be to God. That's wonderful. Would you say that? Picker? I agree. Yep. She reminds us every time we see her. That is right. that is such a great blessing. She and, was it, like for the last three weeks because I wanted to get through the catechism with her. You know, mm-hmm. can I be baptized this Sunday? How mm-hmm. about this Sunday? <laughs> Chomping at the bit. And thanks be to God, it's going to happen. You know, right in the Christmas season too. Hmm. Uh. So yeah, this is it's a wonderful thing and. You know, I don't know. I just, because I think it is an issue today that, you know, even church leaders, especially church leaders, think you need something else other than the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that is just as bad as Jesus plus something else, yeah. right? I, I do think that some of the gimmicks are kind of growing out. Uh, they're just replaced by other gimmicks. Yeah, it could be. I mean, that's the thing, is that this is always a temptation. It is always a temptation because we don't we don't actually trust that Jesus defines us. And so we try to define ourselves by other things. And this is this is always the temptation mm-hmm. of our flesh. It is always because unlike John, we just can't simply rest in it. Because because it strips you away. When you when it's you're defined by Jesus, all the things that 
that uh, you, th- you we work so hard to define ourselves by, whether it's mm-hmm. clanging and banging in the weight room, a little self-awareness, right? Right. Having massive calves, you know, to be defined by Jesus, you know, that doesn't matter. You know, and you even see it in our Senate too. Oh, well, you know, this family, blah, 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 or that family, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? What matters is do they speak the word of God or not? You know, and uh, that's why we should be willing to listen to anybody who is willing to talk to us about the word. And if they're right, they're right. (laughs) Doesn't matter if they're, you know, the kid who calls the emperor on having no clothes or whatever. Um, So that's the thing. I don't know. it Because it is really bothersome. I heard some news last night that really, so this is where a lot of this is coming from. So Hmm. then you just, you know. Just poked the bear by reminding me of things that I'd forgotten. So, <laughs> so no, it's going to be a great Sunday. Um, there's so many things in this text to preach about, you know. Right. John is just so rich. Vicar, you got anything else? No, I don't think I do. All right. So we we've done through how much? How would you describe our show prep for today? Hours, days, minutes, years, years, years in the making. We spent roughly 10 minutes before the, the episode talking about what we might talk about, but not in any meaningful sense. And you guys just said, hey, Peter, figure it out. So <laughs> Yeah. there's. I must have admit that it's been a busy last, last couple of weeks. I'm kind of dragging today. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a rough couple weeks here. For you, too. Yeah. So, um, you know, but we have... People who are getting better, thanks be to God. Um, so, which is a real blessing. So, yeah. Oh, so we're you gonna. Know what? Before yeah. we do anything else, though, we need a, an update from Vicar. Oh yeah, Vicar, you, you uh, last couple of weeks were gone because you were trying to kill God's creations. Murder, um, as Berg murder, put it. Murder. Yes. Uh, were you uh, successful in that regard? Yes, I was. Um, that night of opening day that I gave my breaking news update, that night a buck came out, so I shot him. And it was good because I had a, a junior hunter with me, a first-time hunter sitting with me, and he got to, to see that process. Nice. So what, what noise does a deer make when he's hit? It's like, oh, I'm hit. Sometimes a thump as he hits the ground. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he dropped. So I think for one of these tours... We should have Vicar do a book report on the Deer Slayer, which is a book about, you know, so he can put his mm. own twist on it. See if he can find any Lutheran themes in it. Okay. And I've been As long as as long as he's uh wearing the pelt though. The pelt. You know? He's he's gotta do it while he's wearing the, the, the deer skin. Yeah, I'm not keeping that one. Oh, really? Aw. Think of John the Baptist with his camel hair. Well, deer hair is really coarse. It's not soft at all. Well, you could just the be, good, but. you know, you could just be uh, emulating your idol. John so, the Baptist. There you go. You know, you, you probably used, you don't have the pelt anymore. No, it's getting, it's ready to get thrown out. It's because I think where you're probably going to get called, don't you think a nice, like a, like a deer pelt stole for your ordination? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or maybe, you know, in a nice real tree camo. <laughs> Berg just walked out. It must have been something you said. So, listener, we've just had a production meeting. 
took time off to do a production meeting because <laughs> Berg just left and yep. he came back. We oh. went to Port Berlin to, you know, <laughs> drop the kids off yep. at the pool. Vision cast a little. Um, so uh, we've decided we're going to do Confound the Clerics speed round where we have four minutes each question to provide a, a, a nice answer. This would this will be a good idea for for my ADD and getting everything down. So so read the question and then hit. Well, do we have to do Peter play the intro? Oh yes, probably. Peter play the intro. Confound the clerics. So what is our first question? How often are you asked to do private confession? How often am I asked to do private confession? Uh, I have been asked probably three times in my entire ministry. Um, I'm uh, at least quadruple that. So you have been a pastor longer than I have. So <laughs> never for me, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, there there have been times where I've thought about asking you to go to private confession. <laughs> <laughs> But it's not proper for really for the supervisor to hear it. Right. Yeah, I well, can have... I explain why? Because like I answer the seminary and and then there's a conflict of interest. Right. So let's say Vicar said, Yeah, um I I shot a deer and two other people last night. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that could be kind of problematic. Right. But yeah, I, you know, I've preached on it, I've taught on it, and you know, a few people have taken me up on it. Um, that I, that being said, there are times where someone comes to you and you say, "Do you know what? This is what we need to do." Yeah, ninja absolution, right? They come to you to to talk, but right. really, it's for you know. So right, and so yeah, that happens a lot. More. Yeah. They just, you know, that's the thing. People just have to recognize what it is and, and what we're actually here for. Right. So. All right. Look, two minutes. Not even. Easy. Next question. All right. I don't know why I said that way. <laughs> why did I say it that way, Bert? <laughs> I don't know. Next question. All right. Um, <laughs> why do some non-Christians experience happy and positive near-death experiences when they've been declared dead when they were actually not? He is not a Christian. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh... Why yeah. do some Christians... Why do some non-Christians experience happy and positive near-death experiences? So, like, when you die and then resuscitated. Okay. Well, first of all, we don't know anything about near-death experiences. Do we, Berg? Yeah, the question is, is is it actually a spiritual reality, or is it... Uh, a biological response. A, yeah. Endorphins being right. released. Because that, that's, a, that's the problem with this. all this heaven is real and all this stuff, is it supersedes the word of God. It, it provides, oh, the heaven is for real, they say, because here is this guy, he had a, this boy, he had a near-death experience, all those things. This is our proof that heaven is for real. Heaven is for real because the Bible says... Heaven is for real. John the Baptist said, the kingdom of God is near. Right. And we know, too, that you know non-Christians have uh, a variety of religious ex experiences. In 1902, William James published a book. He was a pragmatist. Uh, I think he actually really did want to believe, uh, but he could never bring get himself out of this sort of Darwinian uh, sort of mindset. And so the way that he argues in that book, the variety of religious experiences, is that belief 
you know, this sort of will to believe uh, makes you feel better. Therefore, uh, belief is useful because that's what the pragmatists believed. It's like something is true if it's useful and beneficial to you. And uh, and so what they would say is, well, for a non-Christian, you know, these sort of experiences that they had as they were dying or near death um, were useful to them in that it made them happy. Mm-hmm. Therefore, they're true. And I think, you know, that kind of goes goes through a lot of what people think. I have another theory about this. If you've ever listened to someone talk about having a psychedelic experience with some sort of a mushroom or some sort of uh, stuff, right? They make it sound like it was a very religious experience for them. Right. It taught them to learn to... They, the drug helped them understand death. This psycho, this, this uh, psychoactive chemical opened their mind. It became a religious experience. And to me, a lot of times, it sounds like the same kind of mechanism that one would have in an near-death experience. So if you put a lot of weight behind the near-death experience, then you might as well put a lot of weight behind using psychoactive drugs to get you the same place. And some some cultures do. They uh, you know, they use drugs like peyote for example, or they even use pain uh in order to create these sort of religious experiences. And this is kind of the thing. We've been focusing on this primarily from a biological or physiological perspective and that that's what's driving it. Uh, there may actually be a spiritual component, either that uh, the body is then led into this sort of spiritual thing, reality, or that it's actually just a spiritual reality. However, we know that the devil can uh, appear as an angel of light. So, right. you know, and so- because we don't exactly know, the Bible doesn't say we stick to what God's word says. And so we, when, when we hear of a near death experience of someone who is an unbeliever, what do we say? Well, we can't verify it, right? Uh, and if it corresponds to the scriptures, then it's superfluous. And if it doesn't correspond to the scriptures, it's wrong. Right. And and if we we got seventeen seconds, so yep. if I think also then it should put into mindset how how much how much we put behind what we would call a positive near death experience. Oh, five seconds left. Good work. All right. Next question. I don't know why I did that. He's such a weirdo. <laughs> I take that as a compliment, Berg. <laughs> All right. Uh, most LCMS districts have a president, um, but I'm now a member of the English District Church, which we have a bishop, bishop slash president. I've looked online. I can't figure out why he's a bishop. Is this just a holdover from when English District Churches joined the LCMS? You know, I really don't know the history on this. Um, why they call him a bishop, I don't know. I know the English district was at one time the English synod. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like there was a lot of high church movements right. in, in the English synod in English district. Uh, and I think a lot of them actually left during Seminex, right? Because yeah. the liturgical movement and, and kind of the Seminex movement kind of... They're different, but they kind of... They were... Yeah, it's, it's interesting because that's how, how that's changed over the years. So, um, you know, I you know, I don't know where exactly that comes from. Because most circles, when people talk about a bishop, they're talking about a pastor. That's, you know, like you would be the Bishop of Latimer. Right, because I'm the overseer of Correct. Latimer. Um, 
you know, we have different names for pastors. Some, you know, presbyter, which means, you know, an old man. Um, pastor, it means uh, shepherd. Um, you know, prophet is also used, mm-hmm. you know. A priest that. in some circles. Yeah, and, you know, so father, uh, as a spiritual father to his children, you know, to his spiritual children in the church. Um, so, you know, the thing is, is I, I'm not exactly 100% sure when that got introduced into the English Senate and the English district. I assume it's because of the liturgical renewals that happened in the 40s, 50s, and 60s with the St. James Society. There, there are other Lutheran church bodies where it is more of a bishop role. Right, like the Siberian, right? Because uh, there church. is there is a difference in how you understand church polity, which which can be confusing. Because if you're in another church body where the bishop is more of a powerful ecclesiastical, right, or even for life, I right. mean that's the thing is that you know, because if not... you're a true bishop, can you you know be voted out after three years? No, that that's I mean so so it may it may be a little bit of a misnomer. Yeah, so, I mean, and this is why Lutherans have never really cared, at least the Orthodox ones, mm-hmm. have never really cared about church polity because um, where the Word of God reigns supreme, mm-hmm. you can be congregational, you can be synodical, you can be uh, in, an, in, a, in an Episcopal system. I used to, I used to, our own, I must admit, our own district president, I used to give a hard time, and now it doesn't really qualify, sort of, but when he was elected... You know, I would say, "Oh, it's so nice being a pastor." <laughs> ha, that's funny. What, I, what do I mean by that, Berg? Well, because he didn't have a congregation right. at, at that point. So, <laughs> you know, and that's the thing is that uh, a lot of these things, like president, circuit visitor, you know, we've created these offices in order to serve the Word of God. And, and, and by the way, I you could tell I do it for the glory, right? Like, I really want to be circuit visitor this year. Well, you know, that's why anybody becomes a pastor, because <laughs> of the fame, the money, and the women, right? <laughs> All right. Vicar, you got 20 seconds to add to this. Whew. <clears throat> you better be careful, because you could go to the English district with <laughs> yeah. your deer stole. Well, some, some people were saying that you might want to call your uh, supervisor a, your bishop. Like, that was a thing for vicars at one time, wasn't it? Uh, maybe. That's not subservient enough for me, though. Oh, the time's up, so. (laughs) (laughs) Next question. All right. It's like we're watching, uh... Monty Python? No, um, the one where they dubbed it over, Kung Pao. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right? All right. What are Lutherans to do if they find themselves in areas without a Lutheran slash LCMS church? Is there anything wrong with going to a Reformed or Baptist or ELCA church in this situation? Or should they just not go at all? You want to answer this one? I'll start. Okay. I would say that should be something you should think about before you move. Yep. Because we haven't, and honestly, I don't think as pastors, I've tried to do a better job of this, but... I don't know if we've done a very good job of like, oh, you're going to college. You know, we should find you a good church. Oh, you're getting a job, Um, you know, Mm -hmm. and actually sitting down and actually like, hey, this is why you move to particular places. And the place in the Bible you go to for this is Lot, right? Mm -hmm. Lot went to a place where he could make a lot of money. You know, he went to Sodom, which was like the Garden of God. And uh, 
We all know what happened there. Especially if, especially if you're bringing a family as well. Right. Where you want to raise your children in a place where there are the only Lutherans. Right. So the first thing is, I guess what we're saying is, is you should think really hard before you move to an area without the pure preaching of the gospel. Right. Sec- think of it. Think of it in the same way as you would marriage, in a way. You know, well, I'm getting married to someone, but they don't believe in Christ. Right. The second thing I would say is I wouldn't go to any of those other churches because they don't believe what I believe, and I'm not going to be a hypocrite. So I wouldn't go to the Reformed Church because they don't believe what I believe about the Lord's Supper and baptism. I wouldn't go to the ELCA Church because they deny that the Bible is the Word of God. Um, so what what do you do if you are stuck in a situation like that? Well, I would get uh, a book of—it's uh, called Apostle. It's a book of sermons. I would read the sermons at home. I, I, would, would, I would drive an hour and a half to two hours to go to a good confessional mm-hmm. Lutheran church. And even, if it's, say, even if it's twice a month. Right. We prefer you be there every Sunday, but if the choice is... You know, driving two hours, you know, once a month or twice a month to not to go into an ELCA church, oh yeah. I mean... Yeah. And the next thing I would say is, you know, if there's no chance that you can move, um, I would start evangelizing, hold matins in your home, um, and hopefully maybe the congregation will get big right. enough so you can actually start a mission plant. I think we actually need to get back to that, that. I do too. You know, we, you know, families should be starting mission plants in situations like this. Yeah, do so, something about it. Right. You know, what, what's that What's that cheesy phrase? Be the change you want to see. <laughs> well, in this case, it actually works, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, if you want a congregation, well, then be a congregation. Do a lot of congregations in, were started that way. Right. So, you know, do matins every Sunday. Invite your friends read sermons from good preachers like uh, go to christforus.org and and read uh, a Rolf Preuss's sermons, you know, um, or that, contact other pastors. You could even contact us. We'd send you sermons. So there, There is beautiful examples of, for example, Lutherans in Siberia. I got 26 seconds left. Lutheran Siberia, where the pastors were all taken away and killed or put in a gulag or something like that. And... Uh, the members actually held on to their Bibles and their catechisms, and finally a pastor came 40 years later, and they received the Lord's Supper. Amen. That's wonderful. But that was not by choice. Most people in the United States have a choice of where they live. Next question. <laughs> that really bothers you, doesn't it? I just see the uh, the one guy with the, with the bald head and the really, you know, um, long mustache yeah. from Kung Pao. Yeah. That's that's what I'm imagining at this moment. So, I like this timer thing. This is this is good for us. Yeah. All right. Um, when you finish seminary and are ordained a pastor, do you have any say in what parish you get assigned to? Uh, and doesn't the parish have to vote to hire you? How does all that work? Uh, first of all, uh, they don't really hire you. They call you. Mm-hmm. Maybe you want to. You want to start with that. Um, because uh, really, a higher mentality is means you serve them, and not Christ. So they have there's a higher mentality, meaning uh, we then get to tell you what you're going to do. What you're going to do, right? Right. But I would say, from the seminary's point of view, this is one reason why Vicar I said he might need a deer pelt for a stole. 
because he has no idea. I mean, you can say, yeah, I, you can turn down the call extended at the seminary, but it's generally frowned upon. Yeah, it's usually not a very good idea. Right. So what happens is, is congregations, uh, I, what would you say, like in January, mm-hmm. usually contact the seminary and say, you know, hey, we voted. They contact their district president. Right. And they, they say, hey, we we voted to extend a call to the seminary for a candidate. And so you fill out the, the call papers as you would for a specific person, but you don't have a specific person. You fill it out, and then you give it, it to the seminary, and then between the two seminaries and the Council of Presidents, they just match them up. Right. And so, and then from the seminarian's perspective, you usually sit down with um, oh the placement guy. The placement director. The placement yep. director. And you go through different things like, you know, are there... You know, are there health problems? Do you need to be closer to family? You can actually rank um, particular, like, districts. It doesn't mean you'll right. go there. And there's might be some strengths or weaknesses. That some have. guy might be better suited for a smaller parish out in the country. Some might be better suited for a, a, a city. And, and uh, they kind of match those things up. So it is, just as for the vicar or the, the seminarian, a surprise— the congregation then also right so um that's how that kind of happens um they are not ordained because we you know for us ordination is tied to the call it is a, a ratification of the call a public ratification of you know what you've been called uh, there to do so it's kind of um, like a like a $5 mystery box right you know it's going to be good you just right. don't know. Yeah, it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> right. So, um, <laughs> so anyway, like, like for example, I can see Vicar saying, "Hey, I really, you know, uh, want a school, or I want to be in an area where uh, it's easy to get to a school because for him, uh, his chil- you know, his children receiving a Christian education is uh, one of his highest priorities. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can you can put that on your deal. So, yeah, it's kind of like. Uh... You know, my wife and I at that time, we always talk. I wonder where we're going to be buried. You know? By the sea. <laughs> so. The our, keys. <laughs> boy, we got time left. We did really well on that one. So. I have seen at the seminary some of the fourth year guys getting interviewed by churches that are, I guess, seeking candidates, but they'll they'll literally come to the seminary and interview a handful of Oh, oh, and oh, and that's the thing. Like right now, because I have twenty seconds left, I just want to quick get this mm-hmm. in. Um, the uh, uh, right now, uh, every seminarian is going to get a call, but that has not always been the case in uh, our history. Sometimes there have been way more candidates than there have been open churches. So they became teachers. Right. And so, usually, yeah. three seconds left. Usually, those are multi uh, pastor situation where uh, <laughs> time's up. So guess what's time for next question. How do you feel about gay marriage in a legal sense? We hold that the biblical definition of marriage is between a man and a woman, and that homosexual activity is wrong, and that same-sex marriage isn't valid in the eyes of God or the LCMS. But, given we have a separation of church and state, does this give us a right to deny same-sex marriage for the public outside the church? Well, the confusion comes from the fact that, what is marriage? Marriage is, really, there's two sides of it. There's a civil and the spiritual. I mean, ultimately, the state decides who is married and who is not, but we don't necessarily have to recognize that as well. Yeah, I don't know. I am of the opinion 
the First Amendment can never trump the First Commandment. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, what does Caesar owe to God, right? Because mm-hmm. we talk about rendering I wasn't Caesar saying the, that, by you the know, way. No, I know. It's, uh, you know, to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. I mean, Caesar owes God obedience. Um, and that's why, like, you know, whatever— I'm not saying that we should kill um, homosexual people, right? Uh, what I am saying, though, is is that uh, Caesar should actually follow God's law. Um, and that's, you know, this whole separation of church and state, which isn't actually in the Constitution, for example, um, is false. I mean, there is a distinction between church and state, but there's not a separation. You can't, because if you have a—the secular world has its own religion. Mm-hmm. It just does. I mean, uh, it has its own worldview. And so, so you know, clarify the question. It is asking what. So yeah, I think politically we should be against gay marriage. We should fight to outlaw it. Yeah, but what what was the question specifically asking, Peter? Uh, is it any of our business? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Because it's our business if our brother sins. When one sin, all sin, right? Uh, when one is hurt, all are hurt. Um, and not only for that, but we have to live in a world with these people, right? And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Right. So, um, that, yeah, I think you know, that's a good way to answer so, that. And the law is meant to curb, you know, to, you know, its first use, right, as a mm-hmm. curb is to you know, curb the lawlessness of of sinners. And I do think, by the way, that polygamy is going to really, it's starting to now, but it's really going to be a bigger issue. Polygamy, polyandry, uh, pedophilia. I mean, all of these things, you know, and they all just come from one another, right? Right. Um, Once you say love is love, which is what they argued, well, oh, no, this won't, you know— uh, the 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 approval of gay marriage legalization of it that won't lead to pedophilia. Right. Well, now they're talking about, you know, you have people advocating for for pedophilia and redefining those terms. Because yeah, because if you let if you let evolution and biology dictate it, meaning, uh, well, they're born this way or whatever the case may be, well then, why not? You know, yeah. If like, lo- if love is love, well. You know why can't uh, why can't a sixty year old man love a you know seven year old boy? If a man can love a man and a woman can love a woman and a they can love dogs and you know I mean so that's where this argument actually lead, leads. It is a slippery slope and it's not a fallacy. It's just that's where we're at, and this evil has just led to more evil, and we should stop it. Yeah, I'd say the right of the right of happiness doesn't trump God's law. Right. All right. How many we got? How much? How are we doing on time? Um, we're at. I like this. An hour. I really three. like this. We could probably do mm-hmm. two or three more. Okay. Um, do you like this? Yeah. Yeah. The hardest part is I'm blowing through literally years of Ask a Pastor threads, <laughs> trying to find good ones. <laughs> um, I noticed that all pastors pastors usually wear a cross. Wait, wait, stop for a second. Go ahead. Next question. All right. I noticed the pastors wear a cross when they, as part of their vestments. Usually, it's something somewhat unique. I've never seen a pastor wear a crucifix as part of their vestment. Is there some kind of rule, or is it just what pastors happen to do on their own? Um, I'm gonna adjust this question just a little bit. Um, 
because I know that you guys actually, I believe, Bullhagen actually wears one uh, with the crucifix. Is that correct? Yes. So they, they do exist. I'm going to amend this question a little bit. Um, you guys have a lot of different uniform stuff. You've got your robe. You've got your uh, clerical stuff. Uh, where do you get all that? Catholic supply. <laughs> Catholic liturgicals? <laughs> yeah, actually, that's where I got a lot of my vestments from. I'll, I'll be honest. Mine are so old. Like, my alb is they still the one have... I got from the seminary. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yeah. Oofta. Because I'm looking at my stuff, and it's getting kind of tattered. Right. I so. mean, I feel it out a little better now. <laughs> um, well, I guess where, you know, I bought my cassock, which is uh, a black um, clergy uniform. I bought my cassock from Almy. I bought my um, uh, surplus. surplus, which is the white um, garment that goes over that. And though that's actually the traditional, pardon me, non-communion service. Well, how, how about your cincture? Let's just keep trucking. <laughs> uh, so, and, and really, honestly, like, uh, it's kind of a new thing because usually only the bishop, at least in Roman Catholic circles, would wear like a cross or a crucifix. And it's kind of the same thing in Eastern Orthodox, only they have, I can't remember what it's called, I was reading about it, but it's a picture of the... Uh, of the Virgin Mary um, that they they get when they reach a certain rank. Um, so that's actually kind of a, an innovation. Kind of like actually wearing a stole for every service is kind of an inno- uh, innovation too. That was originally, I believe, only used for services with the Lord's Supper. Well, um, v- Vicar's been asking me about using confirmation stoles. He really likes those. <laughs> so I, can I, have a pro- I have a pro tip about that. Okay. Go for it. Pro tip. So, uh, I know we do have some clergy listening. Uh, If you are the more uh, muscular uh, pastor... um, So you went to St. Louis? (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) With the exception of Bullhagen, of course. um, Through uh, Concordia Publishing House, they do have the Ecclesia, which are pretty inexpensive clergy shirts. A lot of times they have sales. Mm -hmm. But they they have a fitted... So it's a little more slenderized in the waist. Oh, okay. So you're probably wondering, man, how does Bullhagen get those shirts that... Yep. Make him look ripped. Yeah. <laughs> so Ecclesia brand from Concordia and then the fitted. Yeah, I like my Almy uh, clergy sh- shirts. And they're a little expensive. They're like 40-some bucks, you know, but I think they fit nice and, you know, they usually look pretty nice. Because so. Vicar was complaining now that he's been working out. He, he got one and then I... Had him try on a fitted one. He's like, yeah. Okay, you'll like this story. Um, you remember the movie Predator, right? With Carl Werther's and stuff. Do you know how he made his muscles look as big as Schwarzenegger's? He wore a shirt uh, way too small, and then he rolled up his sleeves so he could, uh, you know. Oh, for the... The the, the, the whole hand... You the know. handshake muscle... Th- right. Yeah. Hmm. That's a great story. I love it. I thought you would too, so... Yeah. Carl Weathers. He was a, actually an NFL wide receiver. Was he really? Yeah. Huh. Next question. All right. Um, is baptism required for salvation? I've been reading the Bible and ran into verses that says that God uh, has chosen us and predestined us, but it also talks about how Christ 
comes to us through baptism, and that is how we receive forgiveness. So I'm looking to clarify, as it seems I have two different perspectives or answers from the Bible. So I would say, first of all, I don't like the word require. It's a legalistic term. Mm. Necessary? Yeah. Because because if you think about it, the word require, you look at that and it says, well, what do I have to do? What am I required to do to be saved? To be, it, it, a slippery slope, I believe, into works righteousness. I don't know. I Necessary kind of has the same flavor. I suppose. But... But uh, here's the thing. It is faith by which we're saved. But, but the point is, if, if you have faith, what do you desire to be? Baptism. What does the Bible teach? Be baptized. Baptism now saves you. We just talked about the power of baptism. Why would you want to reject that? And so, so I would wonder why, what's behind that question. You know, why, why is there an aversion to be baptized? All right, so um, our Lutheran fathers have talked about it in two ways. One is the ordinal necessity of baptism, right? The ordinary way in which you are saved is, um, you know, you're baptized and baptism creates faith, right? This is what Mark 16, 16 says, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. The absolute requirement for salvation is faith, right? That's why he who does not believe shall be condemned. This is what we learned from uh, our catechism, right? Um and, you know, and the verses that it teaches. Um, obviously, becoming a disciple of Jesus, it's being baptized and being taught, right? That's how you become a disciple or a learner uh, of what Jesus says, right? Um, so that's the first thing, right? Because uh, can you be saved apart from baptism? Yes. Um, but it is definitely not an ordinary way. Everybody always points to the thief on the cross. Mm-hmm. Well, the thief on the cross was probably circumcised, which is the Old Testament equivalent of holy baptism, right? And he was right. buried with Christ. Well, so, you know. and if there was a if there was an earthquake and somehow he fell off the cross and uh, ran away, while well, Jesus still died, guess what he would have done? Yeah, he he would have been. But the whole point is everybody tries to use that as the trump card, like, oh, so you don't need to be baptized to be saved. And it's like, well, the dude was circumcised. Really what the, the, the thief on the cross teaches us is that deathbed conversions are possible. That's all that teaches us. If you want to go to a place that shows that baptism is not absolutely ne- uh, necessary, you go to David's son dying, where he dies before he is circumcised. And what does David confess? He confesses that... Uh, I will go to him, but he will not come back to me. He's obviously not talking about, you know, his son going to hell or some sort of limbo, but he's talking about heaven, right? Mm -hmm. The second thing that's going on here is that that this person has confused predestination and tried to look into the mind of God uh, without looking at how God actually predestines and brings us to salvation, right? And the best place to go for this is Romans chapter 8. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he predestined, he called, right? How how does he call? He calls through the gospel, through baptism, right? And those whom he has called, he has justified. And those whom he has justified, he has glorified. You can't separate the two like this person is doing, so. Vicar, you got eight seconds. I'm blank. (laughs) All right. Hey, I like that segment. That was kind of fun. We do what we can. Vicar, if they have questions they would ask, like to ask, where can they get a hold of us? They can email us at feedback at clericalerrors.org 
or they can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash clerical errors podcast or on Twitter at me bro at clerical errors P P for podcast. And if they want to donate, they can click on our link to Patreon from our website. And if they want to buy merch at the store, it's at store.clericalerrors.org. And like we said, we're quite proud of our store. We think it might even be better than the podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening. I am Bullhagen. I'm Berg. And I'm Vicar. May, and may your answers be quick and your shirts tight. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.